With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to... Hey, great shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. Busy times if you're a fan of the tennis world right now. The Australian Open officially coming to a close. So much action unfolding over these past two weeks down under. Of course, we are fresh off of the men's and women's Division I national indoors. If you are a college tennis fan and maybe you thought with those two events in the books we'd have a bit of a lull this past weekend. No, that was not the case. We had a fantastic weekend of college tennis that unfolded and joining me to recap it all and to offer our updated top 10 college tennis rankings are the two other members of our Crack Rackets, Holy Trinity, covering college tennis. Let's start where we always start. You know him as the former four-star recruit on TennisRecruiting.net, your favorite writer for our website, CrackRackets.com. I know him as the other half of Baylor's Nick Stokowiak and affectionately as Matt the Crack Stokowiak. Matty, hey, great shot as always. How are you doing? Doing good, man. Um, And I I agree with your statement there that we're not slowing down anytime soon, right? After National Indoors, we're just getting conference play kicked off now. So this is when the real fun stuff begins. Um, I think here over the next, you know, two months, obviously all of March and April, we're just going to have matches, a ton of matches every single weekend. And then obviously uh, postseason play in May. So we're ramping up, man. No slowdown here. Six months of not knowing if we were going to have a college tennis season, that is music to the ears of all college tennis fans quickly before we introduce the third member of the holy trinity Djokovic Osaka Australian Open champions you are a man who likes a favorite those are your two favorites entering the event your thoughts on how it all ended yeah, those were obviously my picks, uh, Jamie McDonald, and or should I say Gilles <laughs> Simone, um, and and I uh, did our, our preview pod, and of course, I picked Novak for the men and Osaka for the women. That's how it went down. No surprise there, and you know what, Gruskin? I mean, I'm picking the favorites, but yeah. look who won, right? My picks are, are correct, so, you know, I'd rather be <laughs> right than just, you know, go for some random, you know, out-of-the-blue picks. No, I made, some, I made some interesting picks in there, but Novak was was fantastic in that final I think by far he played his best match against Medvedev he was way too good I mean Medvedev just had no answers and and it's not like you know Medvedev just really played all that poorly but Novak was phenomenal and Naomi Osaka is just the best player in women's tennis right now I think that's just a clear fact specifically on hard courts I'm very interested to see what she looks like on the clay and on the grass when we play Wimbledon. But right now, man, on, on hard courts, Osaka is, is you know, the player Osaka's to Osaka's played sure. fewer than 100 matches in her career on clay. She's played fewer than 40 on grass. So you're right. I still think we have a healthy amount of sample size to see with Naomi Osaka on those surfaces. To your larger point, I agree. You be correct, I'll be interesting. It's why we're a good duo, always. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was shocked that... It's just funny because as the match is on, you know, a couple days removed, I just can't believe Medvedev didn't have a weapon to hurt Djokovic with. That's what I'm starting to realize is Medvedev takes away what you want to do the most on the court, right? For Rublev, for Tsitsipas, he didn't give them a single clean look at a forehand, but that game plan doesn't work against Novak Djokovic because you think, okay, what am I going to take away for Novak? And it's like, well, it doesn't really matter because he's kind of good at everything. And it was just fascinating to see that dynamic unfold. But nevertheless, that's enough pro tennis talk. Unless the third member of our college tennis, Holy Trinity, has any thoughts he would like to add in. You know him as the forefather of the college tennis ranks formula. Predictions never far from the listed UTR. One of the many dames to root for the Liberty Flames. And I forgot to say that line in our last podcast. So just to emphasize again, this man is a slappy for the Liberty Flames. Of course, you also know him as the professor, the snake 
Kunich, the one-shoulder designer. He quotes Henry Ford. It's Chris Halioris. Chris, hey, great shot as always. Any final thoughts on Australia? I mean, you went through all of that and didn't even mention that you could have tied them together and we had a college player in the final. (laughs) Very, very true. Jennifer Brady, shout out to you, UCLA's finest. I posted this tweet as well on that 2014-15 team. A, her team in which she played three singles on didn't win the national title. I mean, that's just freaking nuts. It speaks to the level we've seen in college tennis over these past 10 years. It also speaks to the development of Jennifer Brady, who has gotten a lot better since her college tennis days. Uh, But no, with that in mind, of course, let's talk a little bit about what's gone on in the college tennis world. And we actually want to start with some non-result-oriented news, but a significant piece of the postseason storyline now uh, coming together because all of us as college tennis fans, or at least I will speak for myself, I kind of liked the round of 16 format. I kind of like that additional home match for those top eight seeds, the drama that came with it. We remember when TCU went down to Starkville, knocked off Chris's Mississippi State Bulldogs. We saw UNC do it to USC back in 2019 as well. And, you know, obviously all of us were wondering, well, does it make sense to have these teams travel an additional time given we're amidst a pandemic? And the answer, as according to the Division One Competition Oversight Committee, is no. As we learned that the Division One, and I'm going to read the statement here, Oversight Division One Competition Oversight Committee approved moving the 2021 Super Regional Round, also known as the Round of 16, to the final site in Orlando, Florida, rather than conducting Super Regional competition at on-campus sites. This change will provide a more effective and efficient competition as it relates to health and safety, given the increased restrictions in testing and gathering protocols. The COC further approved starting the team quarterfinals at final site one day earlier at the final site one day earlier excuse me, to accommodate television coverage for team competition. In turn, the individual tournament will also start a day earlier. The new 2021 schedule is outlined below. Sunday, May 16th, is when the Women's Super Team Regionals will get underway. Monday the 17th will be the men's round of 16. There will be a day off in between that and the start of the women's quarterfinals uh, uh, and then another day off uh, before. So the men get two day off in between the round of 16 and the quarterfinals. Women get two day off between their round of 16 and the quarterfinals. Uh, Then the semifinals, 21st, 22nd, 23rd. Anyways, I suppose those dates may not have been necessary, but if you're someone like me who's going to book your calendar in advance, that's nice to know. I'm going to start with you, Maddie because when we were talking about, you know, running through our outline before the podcast begins, and literally we did it right before the podcast began, I said, oh, and the super regional news about it all going to one site. And all you said in response was, ooh. So I'm curious, what was the connotation of that ooh? Yeah, no, I I like it, Gruskin. I mean, to have 16 teams all in the same spot, I just – I like it. The more, the better. That's the way that I view it. And and you're right. I mean, when, when you get one of those top eight seeds at the super regionals and you get to host that extra round of 16 match. Yeah, that's nice. I mean, that's a little bonus for, for earning that top eight ranking. I get that. And I'm okay with that too, but especially this year where you're going to minimize the travel and just make things easier I just think it's going to be a blast to have all top 16 men's and women's teams in the same venue playing these matches. I can't wait to be there. And I'll tell you what, I'm going to be there for sure. Um, It's just going to be a blast. I mean, you guys remember when we first all met up back uh, 2018 in Winston-Salem at Wake Forest, we had 16 teams there and it was fantastic. I just the more the better for me, the more tennis that I can watch all of these teams in the same venue. I just, I really like that. And especially with the pandemic and everything going on, I just, I think it was a good call and I'm totally Chris, good with the move. any thoughts on, in terms of, I mean, look, I hate to speculate because respectfully, I don't think I'm qualified to do it, but the idea of having 32 teams in one location instead of 16, just from a COVID standpoint, not the best idea, although knowing the ITA, the NCA, as I do, they will split the teams up between hotels. They will ensure all safety and health protocols are followed. But just in general, uh, from a competitive aspect, the idea of getting everyone back on one site, your reaction, Chris? 
Yeah. Oh, I love it. I, I do I like love it too. I, I, I mean, in theory, I mean, I like it both ways. That's my problem. But sorry, go ahead, Chris. Yeah, if you're gonna go, if if you wanted to go watch, right, you get to see anybody you want to see because they're all there and you can pick your time slot even if you don't want to hit all four time slots during the day on that first day right and you can go you can go catch anybody you want to catch uh so i I love it from from that perspective i do think it's going to be yeah i my fear is that uh, obviously the safety of you know players and staff and everybody involved comes first and when you get that many teams together it's going to be really hard to allow any number of fans at all. You know, even though the NCAA is moving into allowing, you know, like 25% levels of, a, of attendance at a lot of events, that'll be tough just because you got 32 teams worth of players hanging around. Now you got to make sure you certainly have to make sure you keep them away from any of the fan, you know, totally separate areas from where any fans could actually be. So, so that'll be tough, but hopefully they'll manage to, yeah, to and get let's it be done. Clear. The national campus is gigantic. It's an airport, but it's gigantic. And they will have the hardcore outdoor courts, I'm sure, crossed off for the men's teams to go practice. And I'm sure there will be a rule in place where no more than two teams at the facility at once so that they can get them practicing. They have to leave. And only once those teams are done leaving can the next team come on site. And there will be cleaning of the courts. And they will have everything in place. There's no doubt about that. Um... From a fan's perspective, I kind of like quarterfinals because it means there's four matches in a day and you only have to watch one at a time. And the round of 16 at the National Indoors that first day is fantastic because you have two matches on your screen at all times and there really is so much action at the same time. I kind of get spoiled by the idea of watching one match, one match, a match at a match at a, at a time. That being said, this is what needs to happen to have the NCAA tournament be a go. It's not even a question. Make the decision. Do it. That's what they did. Shout out to the ITA for thinking long-term, for ensuring we're going to have an NCAA tournament, which it really does feel like we are. Um, I don't know. Chris, you look like you might have one final thought. I was going to say, I, I, I'm i going to guess that neither one of you actually read the report from the meeting. <laughs> so I'll throw the trivia question out there because I'm sure the listeners want to know. How much money are they saving? And I, what I really want to know is how, but but – logistically we'll we can figure that out i'm sure how much money are they saving in covid testing by having everyone at one site yeah i didn't read that report Um, (laughs) i should have read that report i didn't um this is why we have you professor oh god he's calling us out on not doing the reading matt he's really gone full professor mode he really has that is a very professor thing to do that's a bold move (laughs) (laughs) i have no idea chris is it something ridiculous it's gonna be five figures it's gonna be five figures because getting all these teams on site one additional time is a complete another round of testing and by the way uh i think Corey brooks released the testing protocol uh for what it's gonna have to be and you know in terms of the testing arrival uh, required before you have to have the negative antigen test within one day you're going to get tested upon arrival quarantine until confirmed negative then testing every other day while participating on site which is what you need to do all of this was me by the way obfuscating Chris so I could you know buy some time I'm going to say they save $25,000 so the answer is $64,000 Good for them. Lock so, that cash in. But but I saw the same thing you did, and I thought, wow, they're still doing all of those tests. Yeah. So how? What, I don't know where, but I, I don't know if it's all in sending them off or if they if they were actually going to do more tests if everyone was distributed. I don't know, but it did. It said they were going to save sixty four thousand dollars in the in testing and another fourteen thousand dollars in host expenses. But the fourteen was lost by the fact that they were going to have to pay about thirteen grand in per diem uh, back. So. But the 64K in, in COVID testing savings is is a good deal. Yeah. Hey, all I'm thinking wow. there is that's more money for us at Cracked Rackets to go do things. <laughs> uh, no, I'm just kidding. Sorry. I, I shouldn't have made that joke. I'm sorry to anyone who hears that. That was a joke. It was a joke. Anyways, uh, with that in mind, that was storyline number one. Storyline number two It's a smaller storyline, but it was a storyline. Here's how I view these storylines, by the way, for you listeners at home because, you know, we're doing a lot of broadcasting. We're following a lot of things at Cracked Rackets. Whenever Matt and Chris have exchanged texts on a topic and that text number exceeds five, I always think, all right, I got to go back and read what they just said because this is relevant and we're going to have to talk about it on the podcast. We do have to talk about 
what's happening at Notre Dame right now because Coach Ryan Satchery has built a really strong program for the Fighting Irish over these past couple of seasons. I remember a round of 32 match they played against Michigan. I want to say that was 2018. That was the team Michigan beat to clinch, uh, and then they played this really fun 4-3 indoor match the next year early in the season. Uh, but he's had a lot of really good players come through there over the past few years. Uh, you know, Quentin Monahan, Alex Lawson, Greg Andrews, Eddie Kowalski, a lot of, you know, a lot of really good guys, a lot of solid college players. And, you know, they recently, I believe, joined the ACC in tennis. I might be wrong about that, Manny. I think I'm correct. Well, they have, but it's it's been, yeah. I mean, yeah. a little bit of time. No, and it's been a little bit rocky for them early in their ACC times. But still, you look at the talent he had on the roster, and you think with Richard Ciamara, Tristan McCormick, all of these guys they're bringing in as well, Axel Neve, that Notre Dame was going to be rocking and rolling. Well, we have learned over the past few days that a couple of people are not going to be rocking and rolling with the Fighting Irish anymore. And some of them are older players who, you know, just by byproduct of having that extra year of eligibility are thinking about their long-term future. But we learned over the past few weeks that Richard Ciamara is going to be transferring to Texas. And Chris and I actually had the chance to ask Texas head coach Bruce Burke about that very topic when he came on the Cracked Interviews podcast. But we also learned today that Tristan McCormick, who has not been playing much for the Irish, is going to be going to Georgia next season to continue his college tennis career. And those are two of the top three players for the Fighting Irish over these past couple of seasons. I want to start with you, Maddie. You're our ACC correspondent. Your thoughts on what's going on there? Yeah, you know, it, it's tough for me to really say because I don't want to speculate too yeah. too much, but they are struggling this year. They really are. And, and I think we all expected Notre Dame to be a little bit better. Um, just again, with their personnel, with their roster, their coaching, um, that's a team that we expect to, you know, push all of the ACC teams, really, you know, if they don't win, they can at least provide a good, tough match uh, for almost everybody in the ACC. And this year's just been just really, really bizarre, almost. They've struggled, and and guys like Ciamara and McCormick, you know, obviously that's a huge hit for them next year to lose those guys. Um, you know, now we don't know what's going to happen to Axel, and he's still there, and he's got some eligibility remaining, so... You know, it's it's not looking good um, for for the Irish, and I, I don't I don't know what's going on there. Like, I wish I knew somebody that was like internal within that program because I could probably find out a little bit more. But I just I don't know what it is. But clearly, things seem to be going a little bit south. And obviously, you know, with only one year left, both Ciamara and McCormick wanted to take advantage of their their opportunity you know my brother Nick did the same thing you know he he left Duke and is now at Baylor and really enjoying his time there so for Richard Ciamara Texas you know we've talked about them a lot this year he's going to be an important piece you know for a young Texas squad he can bring a veteran presence and play you know top three four in their lineup that's a major component and for a guy like McCormick going to Georgia Big guy can play great doubles. Has been ranked very, very highly in the in the country in doubles and in singles. He can play where you need him. I'm assuming at Georgia, it would probably be a little bit lower in the lineup. But hey, if you have to play that guy at five or six, no problem. That's a great option to have. So, um, two two big pieces that are are going to be leaving the Irish. Chris, yeah, it's a. I mean, it's tough. Look, I, I'm I'm with Maddie. I don't know. I I have a really good relationship with with coach satire and i will eventually you know reach out and ask him but it's kind of like uh you know somebody loses a match and and five minutes later you're texting him like hey what happened you know (laughs) you don't want to do that so uh i mean satch knows that i love him i i mean i i love what he's doing there i love his program i love his coaching so uh, you know, it's all good. I'm not not trying to cast any aspersions on, on the program. It could very well be, uh, just because I don't know, that, you know, those guys are seniors and uh, and it's a and it's a deal where it's not a it's not a money thing because this was the year that everybody was free and the school got to pay for it. But for from next year on, they count against the scholarship limit. And it may very well be that they had already had 
commitments to some some guys that were coming in as recruits that they didn't want to have to go back on and keep themselves under the four and a half scholarship limit, right? That that could be, so it could have been all along, hey, the seniors aren't coming back and they were just trying to figure out where they're going. I don't really know. So, you know, before I speculate too far on it, I'll, I'll reach out to, to Satch and figure out, you know, what kind of, how much he wants to say, uh, let me know what's going on. But, but yeah, it's on, it's unfortunate. It's great for Georgia and Texas because those are two really good guys. Right. And like Maddie said, they are both seniors. So uh, not totally, you know, not totally out of the question that you're going to see, you know, a lot of seniors leaving. It just so happened that we saw news of two in the same week from the same school. So when that happens, obviously we're going to report it. No, that's that's exactly the takeaway, is that this is going to be happening to a lot of programs. Notre Dame's just the first, or not really the first. I would argue Duke was the first, and now Notre Dame is another one where you see this happening. And look, according to tennis recruiting, uh, Notre Dame has three five-star recruits committed for next season, so they'll be just fine. That's the broader takeaway if you're the Notre Dame team, but the other big takeaway is that expect to see this a lot as money opens up for some schools, not others. These seniors are looking for graduate programs way to use their extra year of eligibility as Maddie pointed out you know Nick Spencer Charlie they're the first they're certainly not going to be the last but yeah again just thought we would comment on that because that is going to be something we will talk about throughout the course of the spring with that in mind let's run through some of the matches we saw happen this weekend and we're not going to do the huge deep dive breakdowns that we do when it's a national indoors a kickoff weekend but I do want to talk about some of the notable results and since we talked about Georgia last, let's talk about them first here as they had one of the matches of the weekend. They took on Tennessee. Tennessee, uh, I believe, going to Georgia and knocking off the Bulldogs 4-2. They take the doubles point wins from Walton and Harper, Walner and Hussey, and then they get victories at the number four position from Prada, five position from Wiedemann, and then the two position, Johannes Monday, clinching with a six-love third set victory over Phil Henry. Now for Georgia, a couple of things they didn't have Tyler Zink. They did. Uh, I'm missing the. There was one other player that didn't. Blake Kreider. Blake Kreider. Thank you. They were also missing Blake Kreider. Uh, with that in mind, it meant it was Gravilli. Uh, you know, Billy Rowe playing three, Gravillius four, Anselmo five, Britton Johnston six, and yet they got the win from Johnston at six. They got the win from Trent Bride at one. Henning, Billy Rowe were both right there in their matches. Chris, you watched the most of this probably of the three of us. Again, is this more just a sign that Tennessee is this good? Uh, obviously, the losses of Zink and Kreuter big uh, for the Bulldogs, although we did see Kreuter in doubles. So if you want to share more about that, please do. But just your thoughts on this result. Yeah, look, I mean, this it's a tough one to make a lot out of because, first of all, I, I, I had already believed all along that Tennessee is this good. Uh, but if anything, I came out of this going, man, I was kind of hoping they'd given that there was no Croyd or no zinc for Georgia. You kind of thought they'd be a little more dominant. Georgia played and hung in very, very well. Croyder played doubles. Uh, what I hear is, is, uh, you know, back locked up on him, cramped up something of the sort. Uh, I don't know if he's fighting an agony injury, but basically he played doubles and just couldn't go for singles after playing doubles. Something happened there. So uh, so that's why he was out. Zinc wasn't even on site. Draw your own conclusions there. He'll be back. Um, so so no worries long-term for, for them. Uh, but yeah, I think it was very, it was, I think actually encouraging for both teams, right? It's encouraging for Georgia that without two of those guys in their lineup, they managed to be right there, like you said. I mean, they were, Billy Rowe was actually looking good to make it 4-3, and Henning got to a third and just got blitzed by Monday, six love in the third. But, uh, but that was a very tight match given, given that they were down two guys. So I don't think it, uh, you know, it, it hurts them at all. I mean, obviously standings wise. Yes. But from a morale standpoint, they know they're right there. And for Tennessee, they know, Hey, you know, when our backs against the wall, and again, they don't have Pat Harper in the lineup who I really think should be in the lineup. Uh, so, um, I think that's, you know, hopefully as the season goes on, we'll be seeing, we'll be seeing some more of him, but I think it was good, good for both schools. And, you know, George has got some, you know, some, some matches this weekend. So we'll see, hopefully, you know, they get their guys back, but that, that'll be the the takeaway there is, is it, you know, a one weekend thing in their back or what? 
Yeah, no, I mean, they were missing zinc from the doubles lineup, but Tennessee took it to them. And this Tennessee team now, you look at their overall record, I believe they're 12-1. and They've dropped one doubles point on the season, and it was one they should have won against North Carolina at the National Indoors. And, you know, Walton at Harper at number one are really, really good. And Monday and Prada seem to get better and better. And just Johannes Monday just seems to get better with every college tennis match he plays. And then when you can have the luxury of Walner and Hussey at the number three position, this Tennessee team expects to go up 1-0 in every match they play. And then, you know, with Luca Wiedemann at five, who delivers another one and four victory you expect okay him at five that's two oh we just got to find two more and between monday walton you know one of hussey or prada they've got a lot of pathways to four points maddie again it was a banged up georgia team but you got to credit this tennessee team for once again getting over the finish line they just take care of business here again on the road and this is they beat nc state on the road they beat georgia on the road now it's time to just accept them as good yeah, 100% Gruskin. I mean, to go on the road at a place like Georgia and yeah. win like this under any circumstances, it's a very, very good result. And I, I grossly underestimated Tennessee coming into this season. I think we all did. did. We didn't, yeah. yeah, I mean, we didn't have them in our top 10 list. You know, we just... I don't want to say we dismissed them, but at least in my eyes, guys, you'll remember, I mean, I was high on A&M. I thought they were going to win the SEC. I thought Florida and Georgia were going to be right behind there. And then I said, okay, Tennessee's pushing to, you know, get up there with Florida and Georgia. But, man, I mean, this race for the SEC is going to be so much fun because I really don't know who's going to win. I mean, Georgia does have to get healthy. That That's going to be super important for them. They have to be healthy, you know, and we have definitely not seen Florida play their best tennis this year. I think they're, they're only going to get better, hopefully. Um, but A&M has looked pretty good overall, and Tennessee has been fantastic. Um, yes, I just – I didn't expect them – to be quite this good. And like you mentioned, Gruskin, find all these different ways to get to four points. Johannes Monday for a freshman, this is a guy that's really exceeded my expectations. So that's kind of another factor here. Um, but yeah, they always play good doubles. Historically, Tennessee has been very good at doubles. And like you said, all throughout their lineup, they have depth and, and they're a great team. Well, I think the thing Chris was most proud of me for during the National Indoors was the way I got Mike to just start using the term match calculus and just make that part of the lexicon of college tennis. Is that fair to say, Chris? Yeah, I mean, and and you just kept pushing to try to use it sooner and sooner until you got to the point where you said, no, it's too early, stop. (laughs) Exactly. Well, anyways, I like to divide these teams right now. I've decided the way to do it is by the match calculus. And it's, do you have paths to, you know, what are your ways to four? Are you a four-point team? Are you a three-point team? Are you a two-point team? Are you a one-point team? And, you know, there are two four-point teams, UNC and Baylor. Because for UNC, it's doubles, it's Will, it's Brian, and then it's one one of two or three. For Baylor, it's doubles, and honestly, it's four through six. Like, let's just be honest here. That's their pathway to four. And that these teams have more than that pathway to four is why they're in that elite category. I thought Tennessee was a two-point team. What I didn't realize is they're a three-point team because they've got doubles. They've got Wiedemann. And then Johannes Monday is 7-3, Prada's 2-0 and in the two times he's played there. But they're 10-2 and at the two singles position. And, you know, they're also, I believe, 8-3 and at the four singles position. And so, you know, they, they're they a three-point team. They're, they're going to scrap their way to three points, in my opinion. Maddie, you have your finger up. One thing I want to mention here, and we're going to be watching for this. Let's see how Monday does yep. against Habib from A&M. And against Sam Riffis from Florida, right? Those are going to be two huge matches. And we've seen Habib and Riffis play those number two positions for Texas A&M and Florida, respectively. If Johannes Monday can come out and put a point on the board against those schools, holy cow. Then, yeah, you're right. Let's just let's see what happens there. And you're absolutely correct, but what what I'm meaning to say is I didn't think they would be this competitive this soon at that position, and they are. Yeah. And that's why they're a three-point team. Professor, anything you'd like to add to that? No, I mean, I, you hit it right on the head. I think they're, they, we all kind of, uh, when you when you know you're coming into the year playing a freshman at two or three, like Monday, you just, you know, you're not sure what to expect, and you, it's very hard to be, 
too overly optimistic. And he's basically, I mean, he's been almost a lock for them every time. So, I mean, that's, that has really pushed them over the edge uh, to make them, you know, a very, very, very good team. The other big thing, we're indoors right now. And that certainly helps uh, this team quite a bit. But again, it was a really good victory for Tennessee. They continue to assert themselves as a team you expect to make the quarterfinals, maybe even better than that now in terms of their ceiling here in 2021. Let's stick in the SEC now. Matty, you mentioned the Florida Gators. They played one of the stranger matches of the weekend. Now, in the end, it was a 6-1 victory for the Gators over Alabama at home. But... Took a 7-6 victory from Riffis and Vale at number one to clinch that doubles point. And then you look across the board uh, for, for the Gators. You know, it was a 7-6 first set at number two. It was a 7-6 first set for Alabama at number three. You had 7-6 second sets at positions five, six, and three. Bama pushed Florida really tough, Chris. And I know, again, we were texting about it through the weekend this time, it was Inglidson, Shelton, and Greif for the Gators. But, you know, it's still Vale 1, Riffis 2, Andrade 3. After that, your guess is as good as mine, it feels like, for what the bottom half of this lineup is going to look like. Yeah, we're going to see lots of combinations. But we at least saw for the first time as we entered SEC play both <laughs> days, Lucas Greif in the lineup. So... Well, he doesn't lose in SEC play, as we all know. Uh, so yeah, he, uh, he, he was in there both for both matches over the weekend. Um, you know, they pulled the, you, as you said, we saw Ingleson, Shelton, Greif, and then, uh, and then we saw, uh, Goodyear, uh, on, uh, on the, the latter match of the weekend. Uh, and, and Bicknell actually got a, uh, an extra match in when that one finished, uh, kind of the seventh match on, if you will. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think for Florida, both matches, uh, this one was close. The Auburn match was even closer, even though it was another six one. I mean, that one, they had four, three setters here. I don't, we didn't go anything, any, nothing went three sets here, but they were lots and lots of tiebreakers. Right? I mean, four or five tie breaks in this match uh, that were, that were played. So it was tight and yeah, Bama pushed them, but they, they at least got it all done in straight sets and got out relatively unscathed. The, uh, the Auburn match to me was even more concerning uh, given that the, I think it was two through five. I think they got straight set wins at one and six. They lost the doubles point straight sets at one and six, and then two through five all go three um, and they end up winning them. But, uh, but to go three sets there, it's uh yeah, they just, they need more. Obviously they just need some more time uh, to, to get into their groove that again, you can't complain with six, one wins. <laughs> so you take you take the wins, um, but you just wonder, or we wonder anyway, what's that mean when we start playing instead of Alabama and Auburn, we start playing Tennessee and Texas A and M and Georgia, right? Mm-hmm. No, I that I think that nailed it, Maddie. Anything you'd add? Yeah, we just haven't seen the best of the Florida Gators. I mean, this is it's just not the team that we expected. Again, Florida's a team that we all unanimously had within our preseason top 10. All three of us thought that Florida was going to be a top 10 team and they just haven't played up to that standard. I do think Lucas Greif should be a mainstay. We've talked about this. We don't need to reiterate it. You guys know how I feel. Uh, Lucas Greif should be in the lineup because he just wins. He does every single time he's going to put up a point and win. Um, You know, Ingleton, Look, it may be time for him to focus on dubs a little bit. As much as I, I hate to say it, guys, um, he just he's not playing to the level that that this team needs in the lower part of the lineup, right? And, and four through six, that depth, um, they have other options. I mean, you've got Ben Shelton, you've got Blaze Bicknell, you've got Lucas Greif, Josh Goodger. I mean, there's other players that I think are going to be able to come in and do just a little bit better. So I look for Florida still to make some changes with their lineup. That's going to be fluid. Um, And they have just got to start just playing better. Overall, they have the talent. We know they can do it. It's a matter of time. And what's really going to be scary is if they start to find their groove come, you know, mid to end of April, as we go into the SEC tournament, as we go into the NCAAs, you know, in May, what if all of a sudden this team starts to click towards postseason time, they're going to be super dangerous. So 
I still have some belief that Florida will be able to turn some of these results around. And look, again, they won 6-1, right? We're, we're nitpicking here at a 6-1 victory. But this is a team that we had high expectations for, and, and I just don't think we've seen that level of play yet. But I do believe it's still in there. Nitpicking at the Gators is a pastime for us here at the Great Shot Podcast, as many people know, because we have extraordinarily high expectations given the talent they have assembled on the roster. But yeah, I think you guys both nailed it there. Those were the two SEC matches I wanted to lock in on, although we'll get back to Texas A&M in a little bit. Let's switch gears now, talk about the Big Ten, and talk about... Ohio State's weekend because certainly the first impression the Buckeyes left us during this 2021 season was not a good one. They honestly didn't look particularly good against Middle Tennessee State. And then obviously they suffer the loss to Virginia on the kickoff weekend 4-2 as well. Only their second loss in Columbus since 2005 or whatever it may be. They got tested twice this weekend on the schedule. They had Northwestern. They had Illinois. Now, the reason I bring up the Northwestern match, they won that match 4-0. They got doubles victories at the number two and three position from Trotter, Boulay, Kingsley, and Selig. Although, Kashuk and McNally took a loss that day. They also got a win from Kingsley at one, McNally at two, and then J.J. Tracy 0-1 at the number five position. Well, against Illinois, an Illinois team that had beaten USC at home, an Illinois team that had beaten Virginia at home without Kovacevic in their lineup, and we're facing the Buckeyes at home once again with a fully loaded deck as Kovacevic was back from his Futures event in Florida to play in this match. They still didn't have enough to overcome the Buckeyes. The Buckeyes flexing their muscles at the number one and two doubles position. That two doubles match in particular I'll get back to shortly, but they then take wins at the number two position from Cannon Kingsley as it was McNally playing one singles. They then get a win from J.J. Tracy. I mentioned it was an 0-1 win for him against Northwestern. He beats Hunter Heck 1-2 at the number five position here in Champaign. And then it was Robert Cash, who I believe blew six match points. Maybe it was seven, but ultimately I think actually got over the hump on that seventh match point as he knocked off Koisi Kenyatta to clinch the 4-1 victory, the only win for the Illini. Kovacevic, a 6-4-6-3 heated victory against John McNally, which we can get back to momentarily as well. I'll start with you, Chris, here on this one. Your thoughts on the... Because, you know, you were all in on don't overreact to Illinois, guys. And, of course, you were right, so I have to mock you because you were correct. But your reaction here, does this one say more about Illinois or more about the Buckeyes? Um, I, well, I, I think Ohio State. I, Illinois is still a good team, right? Mm-hmm. I just... I didn't think they were better than Ohio State, and I didn't think they were, you know, the number three three four or five team like maybe we people wanted to to put them up there you mean me you can say me don't worry about it i won't i I won't take it personally you some dude on twitter that was mocking me my justification all of you (laughs) but you know other than that yeah no i think it's illinois is still a good team but it it showed that you know ohio state had played nobody since uh that virginia match to that we you know was going to be a test and they're not going to get that many of them this year, frankly. So it was a big match for them to, to prove that, yeah, they're still the Ohio State that we expect uh, to see. And, and that's what they did. Maddie? Yeah, I don't think anybody really wrote Ohio State off, right? I mean, we dropped them down in the rankings as they should have, which, you know, we always say is fluid. That can change every single week. I still had confidence in Ohio State that they were going to be a very, very good team, a contender, right, Um, to go all the way at the end of the season. And this is a match where, you know, again, I think Zeke Clark, you know, courts three and four were the ones that were unfinished here. You know, I think there was a chance that possibly had those matches been played out, Illinois gets both of those, and this ends up being kind of a 4-3 type of deal. I think – You know, if you're Ohio State, you love the fact that Coach Tucker flipped McNally and Kingsley because Kingsley just owned Alex Brown. Such a good matchup for him. And yeah, you lose the match at one to Kova. But again, think about it the other way, right? Does If Kova plays Kingsley, you know, does Kova possibly still win that? Like he certainly could, right? Does McNally then maybe beat 
AB? You know, we don't know. So I think that was a genius coaching move by Ty Tucker, you know, to flip those two there, get the win for sure at number two. And then whatever happens at one, just let it go. They end up losing it. But obviously the depth, JJ Tracy's been phenomenal so far. He's barely losing games. Um, And yeah, that's, you know, when we've talked about Illinois this entire season, we've always questioned the depth a little bit and and you know that's what happened here so for me I'm, I'm not surprised at the result Ohio State takes doubles not a surprise really and then they get wins from Kingsley Tracy Cash yeah sounds about right yeah so I'll go through this quickly because I was on the call for this match and you know the doubles point you know, it, Kovacevic and Banchilla are really good at three. Banchilla gets better and better, gets more comfortable with every repetition he gets, and Kovacevic is the best player in every number three doubles match he's probably going to play this season, and that includes, respectfully, teams such as UNC and Baylor. But, you know, so Illinois just outplayed Ohio Even State Even though they lost three. to Baylor. Well, yeah. Illinois. You get what, again, you know what I'm saying. I'm saying— Kovacevic, three dumps. Anyways, 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 you get what I'm saying. Um, And then it came down, you know, that number two position was weird because Brown and Heck went up an early break. And Boulay and Trotter did not play a clean match, but they were the ones who got Brown and Heck on their back foot. They were able to get the late break. I think they won something like three games in a row in the middle of the set, or maybe it was four. Ultimately, they take this 6-4 victory. McNally, Cash just found the rhythm, got the one break of serve they needed to knock off uh, Kenyatta and Monsi. But it says 4-1. It was about to be 4-2. Zeke Clark was two points away from closing out Justin Boulay at 4. Sifo Monsi, I believe, was up big on Kyle Selig in the second set before his lead sort of evaporated. But truth be told, Selig, I don't think, quite has his legs under him right now. And, you know, Monsi was certainly outplaying him at that three position. So this match was 20 minutes away from being a 4-3 decision. And, yeah, you know, for Kovacevic McNally... 4-5. So McNally, 3-4, love 40 on his serve, ends up holding for 4-all. Then 4-5, 15-40. It gets to a deuce point, sec- or I think a 30-40 point second serve. I thought the ball was wide. It looked a hair wide. Kovacevic called it wide. The chair umpire confirmed it wide. It was a second serve on the tee uh, on the ad side that did just see. It didn't seem deep, but it did seem a hair wide. McNally did not agree. There was a lot of smack talk that ensued afterwards. Uh, unfortunately, I haven't been able to get my hands on the footage yet. I'm trying to, but I do believe that ball just a hair wide. Anyways, that match is a toss-up as well. The lineup chicanery from Tucker is him at his finest. I love that he goes Kingsley-McNally against Northwestern, then goes McNally-Kingsley against Illinois, but... Yeah, Illinois played Ohio State really tough. They were right there, and you could see the emotion on Zeke Clark's face that the big, that they don't have control of their Big Ten destiny. Uh, it, it hurt him. It, you know, he felt that in the loss. That being said, this Illinois team is still really good, and you guys are right. It's just time to remember that you know we all have Ohio State as a top five team for a reason coming into the season. They flex their muscles a little bit this weekend. J.J. Tracy's a stud at number five, and I'm telling you, he is not going to end the season there. He will end the season as the answer to the who's the other member of the top four question for Ohio State, unless Tucker can do the lineup chicanery that sometimes he's capable of. But like J.J. Tracy right now is that he belongs in the top four. It's in some order, Kingsley McNally one and two, then Selig Tracy, in my opinion, at three or four. Am I crazy here, Matt? No, no, I don't think you're crazy. I For me, I probably wouldn't put him any higher than four. Like four, I would be okay with. I still think one through three, let's probably leave that to Kingsley McNally and I would say Seelakes. Now, Kyle's got to play a little bit better. I know he will. So that would be my top three. But yeah, if you want to put J.J. Tracy at four, I'm good with it. Yeah, and I can't get into specifics, but they've had some health issues. They've had some COVID protocol issues, just maneuvering all of it. Ty Tucker has not had his court on a team on court nearly as long as he is accustomed to. But again, Buckeyes continue to find their rhythm. Two really good wins for them this weekend. Uh, I do want to talk quickly again. Two more matches, and then we're and then we'll get to uh, the week ahead and our top ten rankings. Let's go now to Texas A and M, who put together you know a pretty solid weekend of play. They get a four three victory over UCF. Uh, the long A uh, and M, I believe, getting wins. I must have X'd out of the tab. I will find it shortly. Give me a second here. We're live here, folks. I'm going to leave it all. 
all in West off. But when you look at what Texas A&M was able to do, uh, I believe they got this win. I can't find it on the website, Chris. I'm blaming I, you. I got you, Gruskin. So they right, got... give me the rundown. So A&M against UCF, this match was in Orlando. So it was a home match for UCF. A&M won the doubles two and three in tiebreakers. It was a tight doubles point. And court one finished first. Gabriel DeCamps and Trey Hildebrand beat Bjorn Thompson and uh, Carlos Aguilar 6-3. It came down to two and three, and those matches could have gone either way. Super tight. Luckily for the Aggies, they were able to take both of those matches in tiebreakers. And at that point, you were like, man, I mean, that swing right there to take that doubles point was huge. But UCF came back. They were solid at the bottom of the lineup, but AM was able to get wins at two from Habib, three from Aguilar, and four from Schachter to get the four points. Four three. Yeah, and you know, you talk about it there. It was a three set win for Aguilar, six one in the third over Trey Hildebrand. He was a six seven, seven five, six one win. So again, that match very, very close to going the way of UCF. Now, if you're an Aggie fan, the thing you're encouraged about Val Vashro taking a 7-5-6-4 loss to Gabriel DeCamps of UCF in this uh, match against UCF. Now, he followed that up today with a very good result against Kentucky. And for A&M, it was wins at the number one and two doubles position and then wins from Habib at two from Vachero in straight sets at number one over Liam Draxel. And then Guido Marson, Noah Schachter, providing a couple of other victories in their 6-1 win over Kentucky Chris, I'll give you the floor for the final word on A&M, but the concerning thing, they lose at 5-6, and six, and the answer it's you know, Marcon or Rafael Perot. It continues to search for answers at the 5-6 and six positions if you're Coach Denton. But your top four, your doubles seem to be able to play at a really high level. Thompson and Aguilar haven't quite found their footing, but those are two guys with plenty of doubles pedigree. How are you feeling about the Aggies, given it feels like we haven't really seen them play much tennis here this season? Yeah, I mean, I feel good, and I feel I, I feel like their their chances are really good in, in the SEC. But I kind of call it like 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 you like to term uh, teams or people really individuals. Sometimes I'll do it on the team side, and I'll call A and M kind of like the point eight North Carolina, right? <laughs> they've they've got they're good at doubles, they're good at one through four, and you just have no idea what you're going to get at five and six, uh, and with North Carolina, you have a little more idea of what you're getting at five and six, but with A&M, I really, I mean, that, that is, that's the concern. You know, you know, your one through four are solid. You know, you've got some good dubs, especially your one doubles team. It's just, what are you getting at five or six? They seem to be, have settled in on Marcon and Perot. Uh, and, and where's Barnaby today, Smith? Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, th- this happened last year too. I, I don't think it's a health issue. I think it's, uh, it's just, just a playing thing. I think I they, would try him. I would uh, try him guys. I'm just telling you right now, Perot, who's a freshman at six, Marcone hasn't showed all that great at five. Look, if it's me, I'm going to at least throw Barnaby Smith in there. He's more experienced. Let's see what happens. And if he sucks, then you can go right back to it. But I think it's worth a shot. Yeah. They were playing him earlier in the season. Uh, so uh, kickoff weekend. Yeah, so I I don't know there, but yeah, I think they they they're yet to find the answer there. Whether it's get, whether Barney comes back in, whether Pierce Rollins gets a shot, uh, I'd be surprised if we saw it stay at Marson and Perot the rest of the way out. Uh, you know, and again today it was you know Kentucky's not the strongest at five and six either. They're uh, they're a team that's a little stronger up top than they are down low, so. Uh, you know, it's a, it's going to be interesting for them. They're going to, they're going to make their, their bread and butter is going to be the top four in doubles. And, you know, I think they would be, if you told them going into every match, they could split five and six, they'd take it. Uh, they'd mm-hmm. say, sure, sure. Give us one and then we'll play the other five points and have to get and just need to get three of those. Mm-hmm. No, I, I completely agree with you guys. And again, uh, for the Aggies, it's about getting reps now in the season. And I believe you'll see on their calendar, they are now playing a match against the Baylor Bears once again. Uh, I think that match is the first or second weekend of March. And so, uh, you know, again, that will be a fun one to see them tested. I like that. Point eight near North Carolina. That's a pretty good comparison uh, there, Chris. With that in mind, let's move through the rest of the matches we saw here 
this weekend. You know, if you're a USC fan, that national indoors was the weekend from hell. Uh, you know, nothing went right for the Trojans, and we had a lot of questions about the lo- bottom of their lineup coming out of Champaign, but... The good news for the Trojans, they answered some of those questions this weekend. They flex their muscles. 4-0 victory over Oklahoma State. Wins at the number one and two doubles position. And then wins from Dostanich at three. Fry at five. Westrate at six. Uh, so a great victory for the Trojans. Really nice victory for South Carolina. 5-2 over Alabama. They drop the doubles point, but then get wins at the one, two, th- three, and four position. They also get a tiebreaker win at number six to close things out. I also have my match of the week, uh, which, you know, Chris, if you want to try looking to guess for them, feel free to scroll through your website now. But, Maddie, I'll start with you. Any other results, any other things that caught your eye from last week? Um, not not too much. Um, NC State was able to rebound. Again, a team that we've talked about quite a bit. They had two home matches. They beat Louisville, and then they came back and beat, um, you know, Notre Dame, who we were talking about um, earlier in the podcast. So I think for them, you know, important to get back on the right track. They have a match upcoming uh, a week from today, actually, against Baylor. Baylor's going to be coming to visit uh, the Wolfpack at NC State. So that's obviously a huge match. But um, it was good to see them, you know, get back a little bit on track and get a couple home wins. Chris, anything else? Yeah, I think, well, so I have to bring up, you You mentioned it on the uh, on the other half of one of the USC matches. Really disappointed so far this year in Oklahoma State. Uh, I mean, that's a team that we thought was uh, got a, a big upgrade. Not just Cor- thought, you convinced me. I was like, yeah. oh, I'm all in on Oklahoma State. With Korsgaard coming in, and they played a really tight match, had to come from behind down 3-2 against Arkansas to win it. And Arkansas is, you know, frankly, one of the bottom three or four in the SEC. Uh, and then lost to Pepperdine. Uh, no big shocker. They lose 4-0 to USC. But, I mean, for a team that was number 14 in the polls – not exactly what we expected to see. So so that, that's that been a little disappointing. And I will take a, a shot here, Gruskin. Whether it's your match or not, they deserve to be called out. Oh, it's Liberty. Here it comes. No. Oh. IUPUI 4-3 upset over SMU. Yeah. SMU comes into Indianapolis, plays the doubleheader at IUPUI and at Butler, and gets knocked off by IUPUI. Look, the ooey-pooey's can ball. There's no denying that. My match of the week, though, salute the boys. U.S. Air Force Academy, 4-3 over Nebraska-Omaha. Way to go, boys. Great clinch by you. I'm going to guess at number three singles, Jonathan uh, Mascogni. 7664 over Hugo Pillis of Nebraska Omaha. Uh, you know, for them to drop the doubles points, take three, four, five, and six, that's obviously a pretty nice effort. So that is my match of the week. Quickly now on the week ahead, I just want to talk about some of the things all of you college tennis fans can look forward to. I will say from a Crack Rackets perspective, we are going to be on the road this weekend in Columbus calling Ohio State Penn State for the men on Saturday, Ohio State Michigan for the women on Sunday. Going to get some great interviews with all the players, coaches, some, some you know, I'll expect some Ohio State-centric content from us here at Crack Rackets over the next few days. I will probably uh, dragoon Chris for a preview of those two matches as well. So Chris, just some advanced homework I am telling you now live on the podcast. Don't you love that? When Love I peer it. pressure you on the pod to just say, hey, uh, just so you know, I'm going to need you for some content. Anyways, uh, thanks to your week ahead, which for some reason I just X'd out of, but I can pull up in the nick of time. We have some fantastic other matches for you this weekend in terms of, again, what you're going to see uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Mississippi State traveling to Tennessee on Friday. Virginia going to NC State on Friday. TCU taking on USC as well. Uh, I even think Old Miss versus at Georgia should be a really fun one on Sunday. We're going to get uh, a, a USC-UCLA part one. We're going to get the Mississippi State Bulldogs against Georgia. Uh, should be a, a fun one as well between, I believe, is it South Carolina and LSU? No, that one will be too crazy. But, oh, no, no, that's what it is. It's the Tuesday match. Baylor going to NC State on Tuesday. Uh, I'll start with you, Chris, since, again, you can find all of these things on the college tennis rank week ahead uh your thoughts on the week of upcoming matches 
Well, I always, I love watching the, uh, obviously the SEC stuff and they always play the, you know, you get the, the pairings. So, so this week, the pairing that, that is uh, of most interest to me is, is Ole Miss and Mississippi State are the road teams trading uh, matches away at Tennessee and Georgia. So can, you know, can either one of those two schools in four matches, can they, can they pull off one upset in there? Uh, that's, that's the question. Uh, I think that's going to be, uh, I would say, fair chance maybe one of them pulls an upset and we'll have to see what the Georgia lineup looks like. But that's good. But outside of the SEC, that TCU USC match. Mm. I mean, come on, the rematch, the rematch, rematch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And this one's at at USC. I sure hope. You know, I haven't checked, uh, haven't gone out and checked their Twitter or anything to see that everything's still on. I sure hope that all of that is still planned as scheduled. Uh, but yeah, I'm definitely looking forward uh, to seeing to seeing that match. And uh, and next week, Gruskin, you'll definitely get to see. Uh, some footage of, of some Liberty slappiness from me because I am making, I'm making the visit there for a week to check out the new facility. They just did the grand opening. They had their first matches this weekend, dedicated it today. Uh, and then uh, of course, you know, get to spend some time with, with Trevor, but yeah, I'm going to get to see, I've not seen everything they've got going on there. So uh, I'll get some good coverage there. Your boy looked good in a suit. There's no denying that, Chris. He definitely did. But, yeah, those are all fun matches. Look, I want to be clear. I'm very fond of Coach Roditi, very fond of Coach Macy. I hope they have a good relationship as well. They're two of the funnier people in college tennis. If Coach Macy has a set of huevos on him, if they win the match, he'll do a post-match video in the in the theme of Coach David Roditi where he goes, What's up, Trojan Nation? You know, this is Coach Brett Macy. Great victory for us today over the Horned Frogs. Just come on. I need some pettiness. With, I need with some... TCU in the background, like <laughs> well, holding the phone up. It's with, a home with... match, right? That's the issue. Yeah, no, that's what I said. He can't He can't put, like, the logo there. He'd have to do it with the actual team behind him. Yeah. That, like, with just, he would like, troll the team with Roditi right behind him, like, hey. you know. The, the good news is you can see Luke Famba. He's so tall you can see him from 35 miles away. So maybe there's a world where he can get Famba in the background. But, yeah, I just – come on. It's, give me some rivalry. Give me some juice here, the rematch. We need to have them do it together, right? Where they both do it, regardless of who wins. You know Roditi's going to do it whether they win or lose. He's got to find a way to bring in Macy in there, regardless of the result, and just do their their recap together. I think that would be hilarious. Yeah, I'm all in on that. I agree. Give me that content uh, as fast as possible. With that in mind, some of our listeners' favorite piece of content. Our Crack Rackets Top 10 Rankings. We've got a bunch of results to adjust them with, so we are going to do that now. Chris, I will ask you to pull up the spreadsheet so you can give us the numbers at the end, and let's get into it. All right, gentlemen, we'll start as we always do. We'll go one all the way down. Uh, we're going to go through these kind of quickly, you know, not break them down with the usual depth that we do. I just want numbers for you if you want to say sentence as well. Go for it. I think we can all agree top two still, UNC Baylor. Oh, yeah. Yep. All right. So now we get to number three. I think it's impossible to deny TCU, uh, excuse me, Tennessee at this point, just given their record, given, you know, the only team to knock them off is UNC. I have Tennessee number three, Maddie. I, I do too. I had Tennessee number three last week. So there, there's no change for me there. Chris? Yep. Same. All right. Next, I have UVA number four. Maddie? I, I do as well. Same thing. No change for me from last week. Chris? Same here. All right, this is where I think things will start to get interesting. Five, I'm going to stick with the Horned Frogs. I'm going to go TCU. The win over Baylor is still so impressive. They're a top five team in my books. Yeah, I had this. I had it last week as well. TCU at number five, no change from me. Same here. Oh, okay. That's very fun. All right, number six. <sighs> Might be a bit of an overreaction. But I'm going to put the Buckeyes back at number six. I think that's a really good win on the road at uh, Illinois, I think obviously the win over Northwestern as well, pretty impressive. I'm going to put them at six. Maddie, you shook your head. Yeah, I'm not. So I am going to make a change here. I had Illinois at number six, and now I've got Texas A&M at number Ooh. six for me this week. I have the Aggies in that six spot for me. Interesting. Chris? I have Ohio State at number six. Oh, that makes me upset. 
I'm Something's sure. got to happen here, Gruskin. We cannot have the same top 10. Well, I should have stuck with my original team, but I made a late switch. I have Texas at number seven. I feel like this is where we might diverge. Um, yeah, and I see from your body language that we do. Maddie, I, you guys know my thoughts. This Texas team is never going to lose a match again. But your thoughts, Maddie? Yeah, no, I agree. I have Texas at number seven as well on on my board. So I moved them up a little. I Basically what I did, I pulled Illinois out of here. I moved A&M and Texas up. Um, so I've got A&M at six, Texas at seven. I agree. Yeah, okay, Chris. I have A&M at, uh, at seven. All right, I have A&M in my top 10, but not yet though. I have Illinois at eight. I can't penalize them for losing a close match. That would have been 4-3 had everything finished to Ohio State they still have really good wins over Virginia over USC you know it's an indoor team for now we need to see how they do outside but I have Illinois at eight Maddie I have Ohio State I have the Buckeyes who I didn't have in my top 10 last week I have them entering back into the fold here with the win over Illinois Ohio State at number eight for me it's reasonable Chris I have Illinois at eight all right, I like it. Number nine for me, this is where the missing piece is filled in. This is where I have the Aggies. So A&M for me, number nine. Good win over UCF. Good win over Kentucky. Still don't have a great win. That's why they're nine for me. I've got Illinois. Illinois at nine. So I'm dropping them. I had them at six, and I dropped them back to nine behind Ohio State due to that loss. Totally fair. Chris? So what I missed something here, Maddie. You have... Texas at six or seven? I have A and M at six. Texas, oh, that's what I missed. Texas A&M at, at six, seven. Texas at seven. Ohio State eight. Illinois nine. Leave it all in, by the way, West. Up. Got it. Yeah, I'm trying to do both at the same time. So I had. So where are we up to for me? You're nine. <laughs> number nine. My nine is Texas. Okay, so we have the same nine teams, all of us, just slightly different orders. And I think unanimously, I'm going to guess for number ten because no Stanford. Maybe you have Florida, maybe you have Michigan, but I think we're all going to agree USC number 10. Yep. Uh, yeah, uh, yep, that's what I have there. Who did right, you so have at nine, Gruskin? I had A&M at nine. Ah, got it. Yeah, so again, same 10 teams for all of us. There's no outliers. Stanford not qualifying because they haven't played. Michigan, Florida, Georgia, NC State, Wake Forest on the outside looking in right now. Chris, let me know when you've got the numbers ready. And let us know what our Crack Rackets top 10 poll looks like. All right. Here we go, Gruskin. The rankings at, we'll go bottom up. Number 10, USC. Number 9, Illinois. Number 8, Texas. Number 7, Texas A&M. Number 6, Ohio State. Number 5, TCU. 4, Virginia. 3, Tennessee. 2, Baylor. And one North Carolina. Feels about right, gentlemen. Feels about right. Pretty close. Yeah. I mean, we all had the same 10 teams, just slightly different orders. And it's hard to pick the order. You know, it really is because, you know, we're trying to see, okay, head to head, who beat who, and, you know, whose wins are better. So I just think the fact that we had all the same 10 teams, we're pretty much in agreement here. You know, the order is, is pretty close. Yeah, which is always a dangerous thing. Uh, But, of course, again, a lot of fun college tennis action to unfold this weekend. We will be back next week breaking all of it down again here on this Great Shot podcast as well. If you are interested in checking out our broadcast this weekend in Columbus, be sure to go check out our website, CrackRackets.com. We will be blasting you all on social media as well, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. You know the deal by now. We are at CrackRackets. You need those more immediate updates. Be sure to follow as well. You want to DM me directly. I am at Great shot pod shout out as always to the super producers max flagner and daniel westoff for the of an editing job they do day in day out shout out as well to our friends at DraftKings. go to dkng.co slash draft uh slash cracked open to play along with us and of course follow our picks each and every day on our gsp aces of the day segment with that in mind maddie i'll start with you any final thoughts I don't think so, guys. Looking forward to another weekend here and and especially next week. So Baylor's going to be coming out my way. They're at NC State and at Wake Forest. So uh, hoping to be in attendance for those matches and, and see some good tennis. But yeah, before that, man, we got a huge weekend. So should be fun. Chris? And my final shout out, Gruskin, as much as it pains me to do this, is to you. Oh, 
for those that didn't get to hear, Gruskin was on the call at Illinois. He's going to be doing, I think, some more of that. So we're going to get to hear more of him. Uh, and so shout out to Gruskin grabbing the Illinois broadcast and uh, doing a little mentoring with a, with a Big Ten guy along the way. Uh, it was it was definitely a, a good deal and good to see more broadcasting going on. That's very kind of you to say. Well, I have one shout out as well. Does she go by Mrs. Hallioris? I don't think that's correct. Is it correct? <laughs> uh, I think you could just say Chrissy. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't want to be so formal, but she won't. I mean, listen. assuming you're not referring to my dead mother. Yes. No. <laughs> well, I love her too. Uh, but no, I look. It's stupid. We again take more up more of Chris's time. I do in particular than I have any right doing. It's one thing, you know. Trevor's actually related to him. Like, you know, I I am through spirit, but not actually. But. Shout out to Chrissy, whose birthday is on Friday. She, if she is listening till our, you know, minute number six of hour number two, uh, then shout out to her as well. But happy birthday to her this Friday! Thank you for putting up with all of our garbage as well. She absolutely deserves a shout out. We joke about Nick being Matt's other half. Chrissy certainly the better half of the Chris Hallioris. There's no Chrissy doubt duo. about that. Yes. Uh, so shout out to her. Happy birthday! But with that in mind, four. My wonderful podcast co-host, Matt Koyak, Chris Hallioris, our super producers, Fliegner and Westoff, our friends at DraftKings, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I am your host, Alex Gruskin. Gentlemen, what do we tell our listeners? Hey. Hey. Great, great shot. shot. And we will see you all next time. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.